You're listening to a sermon by Covenant Church, where we're building a community to reach a community. Well, good morning, Covenant Church. Well, I'm glad that you're joining us online this morning. Thankful that uh, you're watching this and tuning in wherever you watch this, whether it's on YouTube or or Facebook. Um, I know, I know that it's a big deal because we're competing with TikTok videos and family full photos. So don't scroll, just stop scrolling and and, and join us and continue to listen. I have a word that I believe God's put on on my heart that I, I can't wait to share this morning with you. Now, uh, as, you, as you know, we're in a series called New and Living Hope, and we're going through the book of First Peter. And the book of First Peter is really letters, a letter to, to, to a church, to churches in Asia Minor that are struggling, that are going through persecution, that are suffering. And so as we go and look at all of these passages, as we break them down, we always need that in the backdrop of our minds, knowing that this has been written to a suffering people. This is being written to a people that are resting in the what is, and the what is is a difficult circumstance. They're not just in a, in a, in a, in a happy place. They're in a, in a state of suffering. And so it leads me to think that um, even in this space, in this time, um, I understand that we are a church that is diverse. We're a church that has many different individuals in it. And in light of everything that's gone on with the elections, and even now where we sit uh, somewhat in limbo, somewhat uh, waiting, somewhat already moving forward, we find that even in the diversity of the church that we're a part of, there are different feelings and different things that are going on in the hearts of many. And so this morning, I I really want to speak to the body. I really want to speak to the church. If If you're listening to this, understand that this particular passage, this part, last week it was marriage, it was speaking to marriage, to those who are married and those who are going to be married, but this is speaking to everyone. This is speaking to you if you're in the church. We're walking through a time right now where the what is and the what ifs can, can, are just being thrown around constantly, right? Um, I remember a little example here before I dive into this passage. Uh, my wife's college roommate's mom um, dated Steve Jobs when they were in high school. And I remember when I found out this news, I was like, I couldn't believe it. I, she was a bridesmaid at, at our wedding. And I remember going, man, I can't believe your mom dated Steve Jobs. Like, you know, I I'm thinking to myself, like, uh, what happened? And she said, well, she broke up with him. And, and I was thinking about all of this. Like, if my mom had dated Steve Jobs, I would have said, mom, you literally had one job. You made a billion-dollar decision. And so we started going through all these scenarios, the what-ifs, right? What if you were actually Steve Jobs' daughter? Like, what if? And, and, and we were living and, and throwing out the what-ifs. And, and finally, we rested on a, if that had happened, you wouldn't exist. And so after after hours, what seemed to be hours, of going through these scenarios of what if, we ended up saying, well, you wouldn't exist if these what ifs came to pass. And the reality is, church, the gospel is compelling us to not live in the what ifs. The gospel is calling us to live in the what is. 
The gospel is calling us to live in the what is. And when we find in this passage the what is of the church, in 1 Peter 3 verse 8, we'll find that it's talking to us in the what is, the suffering, the difficulty, to still live out the gospel, to still keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and to never shift that, because that is the what is that we hope for, that is the what is that is to come, that is the what is that is never changing. Um, so if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter 3, and we're going to start reading in, in verse 8. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for, do for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each and every person watching this morning. I thank you for your word, that your word is sharper than any double-edged sword, Lord, that your word is able to pierce and break through the calluses of our hearts, the parts of our hearts that are hardened. I pray, Lord, that your word would speak to the hearts of your children, that they would listen, Lord, that we would listen. We would have ears to hear you, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would be the loudest voice over this broadcast, Lord, that you would be the one that would speak to the hearts of your children, your body, Lord, your bride. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. And so we've just read that. And we see that in this passage, you find that we have been called to unity. You know, giving this a little bit of context, we find that over the last three weeks, we've been talking about this, this idea of submission. Two weeks ago, I spoke about what it looks like to submit to uh, authority, to governmental authority, whether or not you voted for them, the call to submit. We found that uh, a few weeks ago, I preached on uh, submitting to our bosses, even the ones that are, are cruel. And then last week, Rob talked about submission in marriage. 
and how that is mutual and how the husbands and wife are called to submit to one another. And then we found even in this passage that it's calling us to submit to one another. It's calling for unity. And so church, this is what we're called to. And that's the title of my, of my message, the hope you're called to. You are called to unity. You are called to be one of one mind. Church, I want to make much of Jesus here and, and, really, and really amplify the fact that in John chapter 17, Jesus' prayer for all believers is that we will be one as he is one with the Father. That this is not a small thing. That this is a thing that Jesus holds deeply. And Jesus says, I want this for all those who would follow me, all those who would believe in me. This is what I want for them, that they would be one as you and I are one, one mind. The first thing Peter here calls the body, he says, hey, listen, guys, be of one mind. Be like-minded. Now, being of one mind is powerful potential church. If we could be of one mind, we would be a force to be reckoned with. If we could align with the one-mindedness of Christ as a church and look at purpose and look at plan and look at why we're here and say that is the main goal and we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing, we are unstoppable. So here he's calling them to be of one mind. He is calling them to be of one mind. Now listen. We're not called to sameness of persons. We're called to unity and oneness in purpose. Not sameness of persons. That's uniformity. We're being called to be united in purpose. United in Christ. I think, church, there's a lot of things that we believe we've been called to be united to. In this season, it just so happens that we are in a season where the church is trying to see if we are united in politics. But that's not what we're called to. The church is trying to see if we're united in, in, in all these peripheral issues. But we're being called to be united in Christ. That is the one mind that we're called to. Dr. Tony Evans would say this, biblical unity is oneness of purpose, not sameness of persons. Oneness of purpose not sameness of persons. Understanding this church that the greatest enemy that we face is not external persecution. Over the last three weeks, we find that the greatest enemy that we face is not out there. It's not authorities that are in governments. It's not the, 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 the bosses or the masters we find in our workplaces. The greatest enemy is within, which is why unity is so important. We find that in these churches in Asia Minor, as they're being persecuted, that their oneness is actually their strength. That if they're together in mind, if they're together in, in Christ-mindedness, that this is where the real strength of the church and the movement of the gospel is. If we can understand that we have the same goal and the same purpose and the same love, we go for it with all we have. But right now, church, I can say that the church... The church around the nation is not of one mind. That the church is divided. That unity is not being modeled by those who are meant to be united by the greatest thing ever, Jesus Christ. That we cannot say, as you and I are one, we want the nation to be one. We want the people of this nation to find that one-mindedness and move forward toward peace. 
Because really in this passage, you'll find that Peter is pointing to the church in Asia Minor. He's saying, hey guys, we also meant to be peacekeepers. And I'll, I'll get into that later. But that one-mindedness is, is saying that even in the midst of conflict and difficulty, guys, keep the main thing, the main thing. And so we need to remember the why. We need to remember why we exist. Church, we don't exist for all these other things that we sometimes go on and on about. We exist to bring glory to God. We are a church so that we are equipped and edified. We are a church so that we can bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who do not know him yet. And everything that is not doing those things as a church, we must stand and say, this is not the like-mindedness that we're called to. But being like-minded is not enough, church. We find in this passage of scripture that we're called to other things, that we're called to sympathize with each other, that we're called to love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude, humility, sympathy, compassion, love, that we're called to these things as the body of Christ. We're called to do this with grace, church. You know, one of the things that always surprises me is how surprised people are to find messed up people at church. It always surprises me that people are surprised to find messed up people at a place that is saying, I am a sinner in need of the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, that I have not arrived yet at the finish line, but that I'm a work in progress, that I am being sanctified. That we find surprises, that people are messed up. And it's like almost like going to a hospital and being surprised that you bumped into sick people. We are the messed up people raising our hands saying that we are messed up and we are in need of Jesus. Not just sometimes, but all the time. But when humility is what we, what we lead with, when sympathy is what we lead with, when love is what we lead with, people are able to come into a place where there's authenticity, where we are saying, hey, we struggle ourselves and so we find that in this in this walk that we have together as followers of Jesus Christ and I want to encourage you to this is that be authentic no need to pretend to be something that you're not be authentic so that people can see your situation and naturally what people will do is they will give sympathy and grace toward those who are authentically living out their faith I'm not yet there but we find that in the season, church, sympathy is in short supply. I think the characteristic that we can share with the churches that we see here in Asia Minor that this letter is going out to is that when, when issues com are compounding one on top of the other, bad news after bad news, difficulty after difficulty, adjustment after adjustment, whatever it is, including even this morning, this empty room, which is a sign of the times that we're in. Church, when that stuff is happening in our lives, we find that we are in short supply of sympathy because we ourselves are going through a hard time. And here's what Peter is encouraging this church. In the midst of your difficulty, continue to have sympathy and compassion for one another. Sympathy is simply saying, I may not understand your situation. I may not fully grasp what you're going through, but I will grieve with you. I have sorrow upon your difficulty. Compassion. Have
having compassion for one another. It means being able to hear one another even when we don't understand where the, the other person is coming from. Church, we are diverse as a church. We can't just think that our version of Christianity in terms of other beliefs outside of Jesus Christ being Lord alone, but all these other things. We can't believe that Jesus has downloaded the perfect plan for every area of how life is to be lived out in you. That's not humility, that's pride. But if we're walking in humility, we understand that the areas of our lives where we can learn, where we can grow, the areas of our lives where we may not have experienced the difficulty that someone else is, is going through. Church, it takes humility for you to think right now as the other. That's what humility is. Philippians 2, 3 says this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. It says be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. That is humility. Humility is actually thinking of others as better than ourselves. In the body of Christ, we're called to that. Church, I'll tell you, it takes humility to think of yourself and to put your feet in someone else's shoes and understand where they're coming from. Right now, if you're a Democrat, it takes humility for you to think like a Republican. And right now, if you're a Republican, it takes humility to think like a Democrat. But church, it goes all around. It takes humility for me to think like, like an American, for me to think like a Democrat, like a Republican, like a, like, a, like a person of color in the inner city. It takes humility and sympathy for me to think like a police officer. It takes humility and sympathy for me to understand that these are my brothers and sisters in Christ and I ought to think of them, them as better than me. It is what we're called to. And this takes a boldness of love, church. And we ought to be preaching this message from the rooftops. Be humble. Love one another. Church, we ought to be preaching unity in Christ in the body right now. But unfortunately, church, this is not the message that is coming from every pulpit. I'm right, and I'm right no matter what, is not a sign of humility. It's not a sign of submitting to one another. Humility is listening. Humility is serving. And church, in an individualistic society, where everything is about you and everything is about serving you and everything is about leaning to you and everything is about uplifting you, the gospel is going to war against that because the gospel is going to say we. The gospel is going to say I will serve you. The gospel is going to say don't serve me, I will serve you. The gospel is going to say I don't have to be right in order to love you well. The gospel is going to say I can listen even, even when I don't understand how you're living. I can listen and I can love and I can, I can wrap my arms around your pain. That's what this is. That's what the gospel ought to do in us. And that will breed unity. That will breathe unity into the life of the church and church sympathy and compassion. I love that when I read the New Testament, I find that everywhere where Jesus goes, he has compassion and sympathy. He has compassion on the crowds and he feeds them. He has sympathy on the lepers. He has, he has compassion on us, on you and I, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus went on to the cross. That is his compassion toward us. That is his love toward us. Church, we, we can't dance around with pride at the foot of the cross we have to say I was I was I'm not deserving of all of this and therefore Jesus did this for me I can do this for you 
but let me continue, church. We're called to unity even in our response. We find here in this passage in verse 9, it goes into this. It says that, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate insults. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, <laughs> on the contrary, it says instead, pay them back with a blessing. The upside down nature of the kingdom of God. There is nowhere where this message is, 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 is preached anywhere else, church. When people insult you, don't respond back. Don't retaliate. In fact, your retaliation must be in blessing. That is a, that is a countercultural message, church, that the children of God in this time, in this church, this was not a message that anyone was living out. And Peter's sending this to a church that has been insulted, persecuted, and evil is being done to them. And Peter's saying, don't repay evil with evil and don't repay the insults with insults. Rather, pay them back with a blessing. Are you loving your enemies? Are you loving those who have done you wrong? That is what Jesus says. Church, from the day we're born, our default setting because of our fallen nature is going to lead us to an eye for an eye. We don't have to look far. Kids are a perfect example of this. They retaliate. What you did to me, I'm going to do worse to you. In fact, one of the, one of the calls that I dread and, and hope I never get is a call from the kindergarten telling me that my child bit another child. I'm terrified of that call because I know that I'll be like, where did you learn that? Who taught you how to bite? Why did you do that? You, you're not reflecting the father. And church, as a church, I have to tell you that I feel like the, the father sometimes looks upon the bride when we are retaliating with insults, when we're insulted, and when we're paying back evil for evil, when we're spreading slander, when we're not peacemakers, and the father's going, who taught you that? Who taught you that? You know, Peter, who's writing this, I love this, Peter who's writing this, he knows this all too well. Right, Peter is the guy who Jesus confronted head on and said, hey, Peter, that is not the plan. When the soldiers came to get Jesus on the way to being, uh, on the way to the cross, we find that Peter is, in the, is, is with Jesus as the gods come to get him. And Peter, what does Peter do? Peter sees the evil that is being done to Jesus and he grabs a sword and Peter just goes, rah! And he cuts off one of the, one of the gods' ears. And Jesus must have looked at him and gone, Peter, have you, have you learned nothing in three years? Peter, did you not get the email? <laughs> and Jesus goes and he picks up that ear and he puts it back. Church, Peter was doing that in Jesus' name. He was defending Jesus. And yet Jesus said, Peter, that is not the plan. This is not that time. We do not do this. This is not of my kingdom. And Jesus puts back that ear back in place. And church, I say this all the time and I say this to myself. 
that what ears am I cutting off in Jesus' name that Jesus is going to have to pick up and put back? And right now, church, as the church, I believe that in Jesus' name, in all honesty, I think Peter thought he was doing the right thing. We feel like we're doing the right thing until we read his word and see that it is not the right thing. Stepping into places where we are cutting off people's ears in Jesus' name that Jesus just has to go back and put back onto, onto the side. And church, I would say that Jesus would rather say to you, but to those who will listen, he says this in Luke 6, 27 and 28, to those who will listen, I say, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And in verse 28, he says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. He says, to those of you who will listen. Now, church, I understand. I understand that on whatever platform this is showing, there are a million messages that are saying other things. I understand that there are people right now who are, who are leaving platforms for a higher dose of rage. I know that there are people who are leaving TV networks for a higher dose of rage. I just want to feel more angry and, and more and more the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, the Word of God, which says love your enemies, is losing its power in terms of transforming the heart of those who say they're his children and instead we're refusing to love our enemies we're refusing to pray for those who mistreat us and we're refusing to listen but Jesus says in Luke 6 to those of you who will listen so listen don't listen to me for a second say Rob I'm not listening to you you're just another preacher on Facebook but here's the story are you willing to listen to Jesus if you're a follower of Jesus, are you willing to listen to the one that you say you follow? He says, love your enemies. He says, bless those who curse you. He says, pray for those who mistreat you. Church, who told you to retaliate? Who told you to repay insult for insult? I believe one of the saddest things and one of the saddest revelations of the last few months is I've seen people throw away their testimony and their good reputation of love, kindness, and understanding over politics. I've seen people even gloat about deleting the people who don't follow Jesus that they're connected to. And I will say this, church, as I looked at that and I was praying this morning, I just, I just had this line imprinted on my heart it said the thing you're willing to be hated for that is your god the thing that you're willing to be hated for that is your god now if you're willing to be hated for following jesus and for staying true to his word amen then jesus is your god but when you're willing to be hated for something that is of a lesser kingdom when you're willing to be hated and and and, and the blocking of the 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 opportunity to talk about your god then that's no longer about jesus that's about your earthly king that's about your earthly God and I've seen many people say I'm willing to be hated I'm willing to be thrown out for a lesser God and there's no rebuke to that there's no rebuke from people who know the word of God and they're saying it's okay 
You just find the preacher who's preaching the message that you would like to hear, but it says in the Bible, and I'll tell you, you might end up on the wrong side of the numbers here. It says that in the last days, there'll be those who will seek out preachers who will teach what, what just to itching ears. I want to hear this message. I want a pastor who, who feels my rage. I want a pastor who's going to tell me what I want to hear. I want a word that is not convicting me from how I'm acting. But that is not the gospel church. The gospel is offensive. The gospel offends me. The gospel stops me in my tracks. And I'm not standing here pointing fingers at you, church. Jesus, if I say I love Jesus, then I have to say, Jesus, above all things, I'm willing to listen to you. No matter how loud the world gets, I'm willing to listen to you. Church, our hope is in Christ. This is what this passage is about. It's pointing us to this hope. This is what ties these three passages. We are submitted to Christ. Therefore, we can submit to everything else that Christ calls us to submit to. We gladly do that because he is our king. He is our Lord. And church, we we don't submit to any gospel that says Jesus plus something. I, I find so many people say, I reject the prosperity gospel because it's Jesus plus wealth and health equals good news. But I find that so many people, church, need to be woken up from the slumber and the lure of buying into the political gospel that says Jesus plus my political candidate plus my politics equals the gospel, equals good news and that is a false gospel that is not the hope that we have our hope is greater than that and we find Peter here he says the thing that you're looking for anyway it's wrapped up in the submission to one another it's wrapped up in this in this desire to be peace seekers he says he says this if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days who doesn't want that Who doesn't want that blessing? Who wants to always be in conflict? Who wants to always be in this season? I'm I'm ready to throw this season out. But I know God is doing a work. I know God is refining his church. I know God is revealing those who are the true worshipers and those who are tethered to the kingdoms of this earth. And Jesus is doing this and he says, if you want a good, if you want, here's the thing, if you want to enjoy life, And see many happy days. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. And then it says this, search for peace and work to maintain it. Search for peace. Are you seeking peace? Are you working to maintain it? Is that what you're about? A peace seeker. You know, church, when we seek peace, we're doing the will of God. We worship the Prince of Peace. So we ought to be peacemakers in this world. And yes, it says in this passage, the trials will come. The insults will come. The difficulty will come. But it says in here, even in that, don't be afraid of their threats. Don't shrink. Don't flinch. Let them see the way you live. It says, let them see the way you live. It will be a good, it will be the testimony. That will be the result. They will will be ashamed after they see how good of a person you are. 
I love verse 15. It says, because church, it's not just in how we live and our deeds, but to be honest, it's also in what we say. Verse 15, it says this, and I'm about to wrap up. Verse 15, it says, so don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. In our hearts, we must always revere Christ as Lord. And we must always be prepared, always church, always be prepared to answer everyone who asks us to give a reason for the hope that you have. But there's a but. There's a but in there. But do this with gentleness and respect. Not aggression and disrespect. Not in your face. Not throwing a placard that says, repent or go to hell and put it in people's faces in the middle of Times Square. Church, I believe that a lot of this passage is coming out of a place of saying the reason why people would ask you about your hope is because you have a relationship with them. The reason why people would come to you and ask you, how are you living different is because you are actually living different from the world. Church, when we live exactly like the world, when we are exactly like the world, when we're putting our hope in the same things that someone who doesn't have Jesus is putting their hope in, we don't show a greater hope. But when we, under the circumstances, in suffering, in persecution, in difficulty, when we're being insulted, when we have repaid an insult with blessing, that is what stops people in their tracks and they say, why do you have this hope? Church, if I ask you real quick for, to just ponder on this, what is your reason for the hope that you have? What is the reason for the hope that you have? What answer would you give to that question? I know Peter answers this. And this is the rest of this, this chapter. He says this in verse 18. This is the reason. Christ suffered for our sins. Once for all time. He never sinned. But he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago, when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat, only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He has seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. This is the answer. You want to know my reason? You want to know my answer for the reason for the hope that I have? It's because Jesus took on my sin while I was dead in it. He 
suffered and took my punishment for me, to bring me home and to restore me to right standing with my heavenly father. Therefore, as Romans 8 verse 1 says, I am no longer condemned. There's no condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus. And then he was raised by the Spirit. And he was raised back to life. And I, through baptism, am raised back to life as a symbol. I'm raised back to life with Christ. And, and now that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in me, as Romans 8:11 says. And that is the reason for my hope. That now I can go and I can share this glorious news. Because he didn't just save Rob Chifukoyo, but he died for the righteous and the unrighteous. That is the reason for my hope. I keep my fix, my eyes fixed on Jesus regardless of the circumstance. Yes, some things on this earth are important. Yes, we partake in, in, in all these different spheres. Yes, it's, it's important to work hard. Yes, it's important to be a part of, of, of the voting system. Yes, it's a part of to raise our voices. Yes, it's a, it's a part of being a good citizen. But in reality, that's all here and Jesus is up here. It's an unwavering hope. And I keep my eyes fixed on that. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, when we are wronged, we are able to say, hey, I know you wronged me, but Jesus wasn't counting the times that I fell because he is a high priest that sympathizes with my weakness. So I will do the same. I will sympathize with your weakness and I will forgive you. And I will forgive you over and over again. That is what we're called to as brothers and sisters. The world cancels. But brothers and sisters in Christ, they endure. Brothers and sisters in Christ, they love. Brothers and sisters in Christ, they continue to walk with one another because of what Jesus has done for them. Church, we were not deserving of this, but Jesus chose to give us this gift that would bring us back home. Church, if you do not know Jesus, this is an opportunity. And I don't know if anyone has been saved by watching a Facebook sermon, but you know what? I believe that God could be working in this sermon and maybe you've been on the outside and maybe you're hearing all this political job that pastors and, and other brothers and sisters, and I don't judge them, I want to love them well because that's what I'm called to. And I'm called to walk with them and I'm called to bless them because they're part of my family. And so I say, hey, listen, let, let us be woken up. But maybe this is a message that you needed to hear that we're not tethered to earthly kingdoms, we're tethered to the kingdom. And Jesus has made a way not only for me, but for you. And he's calling you into this family. And saying, this is different. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for this message. Lord, may you use it mightily. May it go out, Lord. And may your word, not mine, your word, transform hearts. Because it is the only thing that has the power to do that. May this word go out in power, powered by the spirit, so that it would change the lives of the people who are hearing this, so that we, your children, may change the trajectory of this place, in our community, and in this nation, for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more ways you can connect here at Covenant Church, visit covenantdoylestown.org or connect with us on social media like Facebook or Instagram.